Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. So we do come to the time in our worship service in which we hear the reading of God's Word. We invite you to to stand if you are able, as we believe that the Bible matters here and that His Word will speak to us this day. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. And He said to all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that, uh, Lord, we feel this sweet spirit that you're hovering around, not just in this room, but, but in our living rooms. And so, Lord, we just pray that that spirit that's hovering would just penetrate our hearts today and that you would speak your truth and your word and your life, Lord, to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So one of the things that uh, happened at the beginning of, of all this quarantine is that um, my wife convinced us that we needed to have a dog, and this was the perfect time to have a dog. And so this is our dog that we got at the beginning of quarantine named Kane. Um, and so I don't know, did anybody else get a quarantine dog or a quarantine pet? I know there was somebody at the first service, anybody? All right, a few people. So uh, yeah, a quarantine dog or as as I was thinking uh, for short, a corn dog um, is what we uh, will officially call them. Um, and so we're just, uh, we, he was a rescue dog. Uh, he's a couple years old and uh, had learned some bad habits. Um, and so we need to take him to obedience class. And they, they taught us some of these one word commands, right? Like sit, really important, heal. Um, one of uh, uh, the more important ones, he's a jumper. So off is an important one. Um, he's a barker, so hush matters a great deal um, for us. And, uh, and one of his favorite things to do is to play with that ball right there. Um, and so uh, we, we need to teach him release so he doesn't just hold on to it all the time. And uh, this week, as, as we were preparing this message, it, it is about this idea of what does it mean to release something to God and to let him have control of things. And so uh, one of the things that we do is uh, for kids that are, are here, we invite you um, to take your binders out. And so in box one, I'm curious, kids, if you could give a dog a command to do anything, what would it be? What would be the thing you'd want your dog to, to do if there was anything that that dog could do? But this idea of release, what does it mean to let go and to let God? And part of it is to really give up control of things. Um, and, and that is even control over our spiritual formation and spiritual life, um, is, is how, do we re- how do we give that up to God? So spiritual formation, I think we often get wrong, is often we think it's about what we can do for God to make ourselves more loved by God, but spiritual formation is really God's work in us, not our work for God. It's really about what God does inside of us and through us, not about all the things that we do for God. It doesn't 
mean that if we do all these things, God's going to love us more. All right. And sometimes I think that's what we think, especially for people who've been in church for a while or, or even people who haven't been in church for a while. We think I've got to do this and then I've got to do that. And then God will finally be worthy with God. But if we want our life to be transformed, it's not about what we do for God. It's about us making ourselves available for God's transformation and his work in our lives. One of, uh, one of the best scriptures comes from Romans chapter 12, and it, it talks about um, what, what happens to be transformed. And it says this, it says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And part of what we struggle with in the midst of all this journey is being transformed because we think we have to be the actors in it. It doesn't say, but transform yourselves. It says, but be transformed, receive transformation, receive life, receive goodness, receive wholeness. It's about what God does in us, not about what we can do for God. And so what we have to do is we have to put ourselves in position for God to transform our hearts and lives. Um, I know that there were some people who had a knee replacement surgery or other things, and one of the things they give you to, to help you heal is a continuous passive motion machine in which you basically, you'll put your leg in something and then it will move it for you. You just have to make yourself and your knee available to it. And this is what spiritual formation is. It's about putting your body to God and letting him do what he is going to do inside of us. And so part of that is surrendering our control over to him. And so our scripture today that I read is, is one that you'll hear in church from time to time. And it's a little bit confusing, I think, from time. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What, is, what does it mean to deny yourself, to take up your cross? What, what does that mean? And so um, as a staff, we read the scripture on Monday and we talk about it. And somebody read from the message translation. And I think this version really helps us to understand it a little bit better. And it says this, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything that you want and lose you, the real you? And so I think this version really helps to hone in on, on, on what it is that we're supposed to do. The only thing I don't like about this translation is that I, I think he forgot one of the most important words, which is the word daily, is that spiritual formation is not something that you, if you do it once, it's over with and everything happens. It's not like you get a certificate of spiritual formation that says you have accomplished something and now you get to go on and you have successfully done it. It's a process of a daily experience with Jesus. And so if you follow Jesus daily, one of the things the scripture teaches us is that you can't lead the way. The nature of being a follower is that you can't be a leader, all right? Is that you have to follow Jesus wherever you want to go. But we're not good at that, y'all. We are not good at really following Jesus. In fact, a lot of us are trying to convince Jesus because Jesus will start walking in this direction. And we're like, hey, Jesus, I know another way. Let's go this way. All right, or maybe we'll, we'll follow him for a little bit and then we'll turn our own direction and we'll wonder, well, Jesus, where are you? Whenever we never really intended to follow him at all in the process. And so kids, in, in box two, I'd invite you to draw a picture of you following Jesus. 
And what happens is, is that we cannot follow Jesus if we let him lead. As I was, as I was reading the scripture and it says, you're not in the driver's seat, I am. I, I thought about a, a friend of Heather's and I who, when we were youth directors at a church in Norman, she had to drive all the time. Do you know anybody like that? Or are you somebody like that who you can't let anybody else drive? Like you've got to be the one who drives all the time. Like there is this aspect of control that some of us have in which we want to do and control everything. Now, here's one of the things that we know is that control is an illusion, but that doesn't mean that we don't still try to do it. And one of the things that that this 2020 has taught us is that this idea of control Boy, it's really, really hard, right? And so one of the things that this scripture tells us is if we're not going to lead, we're going to follow. And we have to surrender the idol of control. And I, I think that there's some of us who were really, this is really tough for us. Now, I'm a United Methodist pastor, and, and one of those things that that means is that I itinerate. And so the way that the um, Oklahoma Methodist Church works um, and we're having some technical issues, and so um, you can catch us on Facebook Live, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, and you never know what, uh, uh, you know what, you try to do everything you can to get things to work, and then there are some days when things just don't work out as well, and that's all right. So as a United Methodist pastor, one of the things that I know um, is, that, is that I don't really have ultimate control over my own life. And so we itinerate, um, which means that there's a bishop, he oversees the entire state of Oklahoma, and he appoints pastors, and he says, you go here, you go there, you go here. All right, and there, we do have a say in the process, and we, it's a collaborative thing, but ultimately, he has authority in our life. Now, when I was in seminary, um, there was others of us who were gonna be Methodist pastors, and we didn't like the idea of giving authority over to somebody who may not know us very well. And like, what are we, how, why is this a good process? And there's good things and bad things about any systems, but I'll never forget what, what Dr. Harper said to a, to a group of pastors, a lot of whom were going to be United Methodist pastors. And he said, he said this, he said, Lear, being under authority of the bishop and serving in the itinerary is learning to live under authority and learning to live under authority is never a bad thing. In fact, it is good for us to live under authority. It is good for us to to be told what to do. And this is a really hard thing for us because we value autonomy way more than we value authority in our life. But here's the struggle that I think a lot of us have is that because we so value autonomy and and we don't live under authority in the earthly realm, we have a really hard time of living under in the heavenly realm. If I can't live under authority here in the world, why in the world do I think I would live under the authority of God who I cannot see with my own eyes? And so part of what we have to do is learn how to live under authority in this world so that we can learn to live under God's authority and be told what to do. Are you okay with God telling you what to do? And for a lot of us, the answer is no, because we want to be in control and have control. And so I think one of the things that God's inviting us to is to surrender the idol of control and give it over to God and say, Lord, I'm going to let you lead. And one of the ways we can practice that is even letting other people lead us and submitting to the authorities that are around us. Not that these authorities are perfect. They never will be. All right. But the discipline of living under authority can be a really good thing for us. Now, as, as the scripture goes on, it goes on to say, don't run from suffering, embrace it. And so if you follow Jesus daily, you have to expect suffering, and then you have to embrace 
suffering. Now, this is not really the good thing about following, uh, being a, a Christian. We don't normally lift this up. Man, I just feel like everything's going wrong. Like our light just went out, and then, you know, the camera's not working out well, but that's all right. The Lord's still going to work, right? So, like, you have to expect that things are not going to go your way, and that suffering will happen, and it will actually be good for you and good for the world. And I think sometimes we as Christians, we think, well, I'm going to follow Jesus, and everything's going to go my way, but that's not the way it goes, all right? Because we follow somebody who experienced a great deal amount of suffering. Why would we think we'd get off easy with no suffering when our Savior suffered relationally with people who abandoned him, who betrayed him, who denied him, who suffered physically, experiencing physical lashings, who experienced death, a painful death on the cross, and we think we're going to live an easy and good life. And so what happens is so many of us, we got the wrong idea of being a Christian. We think it's only going to mean that we're going to have an easy life instead of a holy one. But God is inviting us to a holy and an abundant life in which we will experience suffering. And what God invites us to is to walk through it, not just to walk around it. Now, I'm somebody who likes to avoid suffering as much as possible. And I came across this quote by a guy by the name of Edwin Friedman, and it just really resonated with me. And this is what he says. Whether we are considering a toothache, a tumor, a relational bind, a technical problem, crime, or the economy... Most individuals and most social systems, irrespective of their culture, gender, or ethnic background, basically all humans, everywhere, with all things, at all times, this is what he says, we will naturally choose or revert to chronic conditions of bearable pain rather than face the temporary, more intense anguish of acute conditions that are the gateway to becoming free. And so what this means is that if your tooth is bothering you, you're going to be like, I can deal with this, and you're going to take ibuprofen, and you might rub some stuff on it, because you know, if you're like me, you do not like the dentist at all. And so you're going to avoid the dentist for as long as possible until finally you have to go and get a, a more significant sort of thing. I mean, I remember, gosh, it was probably uh, nine, eight, nine years ago when I had this tooth pain, and I just bared it for as long as I could before finally I relented and submitted myself to a dentist who, um, who took care of things, and everything's better now, all right? But it's amazing. It's like, why would I go through this physical pain for as long as I did? When, when the answer was so simple, if I would just surrender myself and allow myself to get help. And so we do this with physical pain, but we also do it with relational pain. We're going to avoid the elephant in a room for a long, long time because we don't want to have that important but meaningful conversation. We do that with our own brokenness is there are some things in our lives we know need to change, but we think to face them would be so painful that we are not willing to face that temporary, intense anguish that happens for a better way of being free. But we all know that God can do good things in the midst of this. And so kids in box three, I want you to, to draw a time or a situation in which you experienced a pain that later was worth it. For me, it was going to the dentist, um, but, but I see it in a lot of different ways. I think when I was playing high school football and we lifted weights, and, and what happens with, when you lift weights, your muscles actually, they have to tear apart and they grow back bigger and stronger, and that's what happens. Whatever it is in your life, there is times in which we have to embrace suffering so that we can get to the other side and be free, all right? But so many of us avoid it, and the reason why is because we idolize comfort. We think that the meaning of life and the ultimate point of life is to be comfortable, and that is not what God has for us at all.
That is not what Jesus did. I mean, I imagine that heaven was quite comfortable. I imagine that when Jesus was up there in heaven, you know, I do, I mean, like, I imagine his recliner is quite soft. I imagine that whatever his favorite beverages are are quite abundant. I imagine all the bacon he can eat was up there, all right? And I imagine his favorite teams always won, all right? And yet he chose to leave the comforts of heaven to come down to be with earth and with humans. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes us humans are miserable people. And I would imagine that he would have looked up at t- from time to time and been like, why did I do this? I had it made in heaven. But this is why Hebrews 12 says it this way, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And this is what we have to understand, is that so often we have chosen comfort over joy. Is that we've said, I would, I would rather not suffer, so I'm not going to live and embrace the whole life that God has for me, and I'm certainly not going to suffer for other people. But the Christian life is the way of suffering. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. And so what, is, what are areas of your life in which you're going to need to go through some sort of pain so that you can come out on the other side free? And following Jesus, the good news is, is that he knows the way through the pain and into the promised future that we have. Don't just run from it, embrace it. This text also tells us that if you follow Jesus daily, you will find your true self. You will find who you are and what God wants to do in your life. And there are so many of us who, who we, we don't even know really who we are because all we've ever done is all we've ever done. And that we don't realize the potential that we have or parts of us that haven't been unearthed yet. I think about different teachers or coaches or, or other people who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Um, I mean, so Reuben, he, he taught Denzel in, in school. He taught Kendrell in school as well. And, and, and that was, he saw something in them and, and, and he, he saw a potential that they probably didn't even see in themselves. They didn't imagine what they could do until somebody gave them the opportunity to do it. And there are parts of my life and there are parts of your life in which Jesus, who created us, knows our potential and knows what we can do. He knows what's inside of us, and he is inviting us to follow him. But instead, so many of us, we choose to lead ourselves. And if you lead yourself, all right, you will only go as far as you've ever gone. But if you follow Jesus, you're going to find your true self and you're going to go further than you can even imagine. And so what we have to do is we have to surrender the idol of identity. And we have to give up this idea of of this is just who I am or this is how I'm always going to be or this is what life is going to be like. And instead submit ourselves to saying, God, I want what you have for me. You know me better than I know myself. You created me. You formed me. You have searched me and you know me. You're familiar with all my ways. Is there something in my life that instead of me trying to control my identity, can I give it to you? Because what Jesus wants for us is the abundant life. But so many of us settle for scarcity instead of abundance. Now, abundance does not mean riches and pleasures and comfort all the time. Abundance is a sense of fullness and wholeness. And this is what God wants. It's a life that includes suffering, but it's a life that includes so much meaning. But we're limiting it because we want to control everything. 
As I was working on my message this week, uh, sometimes the Lord speaks through Twitter, very rarely, but every once in a while the Lord will speak through Twitter. And uh, so I follow Craig Rochelle. Craig's a pastor at Life Church, and, uh, and he posted this, and I thought, man, this is right on. God can do more with your surrender than you can with your control. God can do more with your surrender than you can with you trying to control everything. So how do we do that? How do we surrender to God? How do we give things to God and let him do this? The best way that, that I've seen in history in order to be able to give something to God is actually through the, the 12 steps. And so I'm somebody who has uh, worked through some recovery stuff and, uh, and, and working through the, the 12 steps is a tried and true way and it really is a Christian way of, of growing in your faith and learning how to deal with surrender and giving things over to God. And so I just want to go through the first three steps with you all because I think they're so important for, for us. If there's something in your life that you feel like compelled to give to God, like how do you do that? And so the first step is this. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. All right? Now, here's the thing. It's easier to see this in somebody else than it is to see this in yourselves. There's a reason why this is the first step. The first step is to admit that you have a problem. And there are some of us who we are unwilling to admit that we have a problem or that our problem has become unmanageable. But if you have tried to change yourself time and time and time and time again and have failed, it is unmanageable. It is not about self-help. It is not about do more. It is not about try harder. It is about surrender, not about fix it. And back to the future and the world tells you that you can do anything that you put your mind to, and that's a lie. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You cannot do anything you put your mind to. And so the first step that you have to do is that you have to admit that you are powerless over it. That this thing has a hold of you and you don't have a hold of it. That you cannot do it on your own. And it is not until you get to that point. And you have to get to that point. All right? I can't get to that point for you. Your spouse can't get to that point for you. You can't get to that point for your kids. They have to get to that point. We have to get to the point in which we admit that we are powerless over our addictions. We are powerless over our lives. That, that negative thought processes that, that have driven so much of what we do, we can't do it anymore. And that our lives have become unmanageable. And maybe you're sitting out there and maybe there is just something in your life that is just ringing crystal clear, like this area of my life, I need to give it over to Jesus because I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I've given it to God. I've, you know, every Lent, I try to give this up and every Lent, it fails, all right? Or maybe some of you, you're not able to see it right now. And so I just pray that God would reveal, like, Lord, what is it in my life that needs to be revealed? Because then the second point is this, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That there is something, and that something we would say is God. That God can restore us to sanity. This is believing there is a problem, I can't fix it, but God can. And this is hard for some of us. Is that we maybe don't have the hope or the trust in God that he can really fix what's going on. And then this third step, and I think it's really important, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. That we have to decide, I am powerless, God, you're powerful, here you go. All right? And, but here's what some of us do. God, you're powerless, or, uh, I'm powerless, God, you're powerful, don't worry, I still got this. 
And so we have to make the decision to say, Lord, I'm going to hand this over to you. Lord, I'm going to give this to you. Whatever this is for you, I'm going to give it and I'm going to hand it over. All right? And we have to make that decision. Now, when we make that decision, I think one of the important things is that we, we do something to lock that decision in. I've been a pastor, but I've also been somebody who sat in the pews many, many times. And I can tell you the truth, that I have sat there and I have made a decision that this area of my life is going to change, you know, at like 11.52 a.m. And by 12.15, when I'm watching the 49ers game, all right, I totally forgot about my decision. I need to do something to lock the decision in. And so here's what I would invite you to do. If the Lord is compelling you today of a decision that you need to make, of something you need to give to God, you need to lock it in in a couple of different ways. One is when we have our prayer time, I'm going to invite you to come up to our prayer walls. Just write it down and put it in there as a way of saying, Lord, this is my act of surrender to you. Um, or you can even just uh, you can write it down. You can text somebody and say, I, 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 this is a decision I've made in church, and I need, to, I need to tell somebody who can help walk with me and hold me accountable. And so maybe it is just texting somebody. It might be telling your significant other or somebody, what is it that God is doing in your heart? And I want to be um, just careful here too, is that if there is something that is a, a, an issue you've had for a long time or it's got deeper roots, all right, in it, then, then it's going to take a while to grow in this process. It, it, God sometimes can snap his fingers and things change overnight. But most of the time, what God wants to do is to teach us to trust him not just to solve all of our problems. Because if we learn to trust in Jesus, then our new problems, we can learn to rely and hand over to him. And so if that's the case, if it's something that's a little more entangled and it's kind of a mess, it may take a little bit, but go through the process and God is faithful and good and holy and just and he will work with you each step of the way. But the question is, do you trust him? I had, a, I had a pastor who he said in a sermon multiple times, and it just resonated with me. Why don't you just tell God that you don't trust him? I mean, if that's what it comes down to, why don't we just say, hey, God, you know what? I know I may not have it, but I don't trust you to handle this. And I don't trust you to handle it in a good way or in my way. And, and I think part of what we have to do is that we have to learn how to trust in God. And so maybe your struggle today is not that God hasn't revealed something. It's that you're not willing to hand it up, hand it over, and give it to him. Why don't you just tell God that you don't trust him? But he's inviting us to give it to him. He's inviting us to let go and to give it up. And so, so kids, I'm going to ask you in, in box four maybe to write or draw something that you are worried about or anxious about that you need God to do something about, all right? What is something you're worried or anxious about that you might want God to do something about? Now, one of the things that I hear from time to time, and I, it's one of those Christian cliches that's true, but I think often overstated, is this idea of let go and let God. Oh, just let go and let God, as if that's easy. But, but, but I think it is so important for us to really say, okay, God, I can't. I've got to surrender it. I've got to give it to you. And I've got to let you move in more and more powerful ways. Now, I mentioned uh, our dog, Cain, earlier. Um, and so Cain's favorite thing in the world is to, is to play fetch with this ball. All right? And it's, it can be kind of relaxing to sit in the backyard and just throw that ball. Um, but, but this is the crazy thing that Cain that does, and maybe your dog does this too. 
all right, is you throw the ball to him, he gets it, and he brings it right back to me, all right, and then I try to get it, and he just holds on to it, right? He just squeezes even more. It's like, here, I want to play, but I don't want to give this up. Here, I want to play, but I'm not going to let you play with me. I've got this. Throw me the ball, but don't, but don't take it out of my mouth, right? This is what happens. And so we, we, we had to teach him release, release, so that he would finally release and understand that we're going to throw it, and he would go get it, and then he would come back. And so sometimes it's like he forgets that I'm going to throw him the ball, and he'll get it right back. He'll have something to do with it. And he just holds it, and he looks at me like, come on, do something about this. Don't take my ball, though. And every once in a while when we play, we get into this great pattern where he releases it with no issue. And I throw it, and he brings it back, release, and I throw it, and it comes back. And just, we just get to play and enjoy this wonderful afternoon and this wonderful fall day. And as I was thinking about that, I can't help but think that that's us. We are the dogs who are like, God, I've got a problem. And we bring it to God. And God's like, release. And we're like, no. Release. Let it go. Maybe, right? And so sometimes with Cain, like, he'll open the mouth for, like, just like the splittest of seconds, right? Like, ooh, I tried to let it go, but I couldn't. And God's like, come on, give it to me. Release. And finally, and, th- and then we were like, okay, we'll do it. And, and, and God throws it. He shows us the way in which we need to go. And what he wants us to do is to go get it, do our part, and bring it back to him. But the funny thing is, is that we forget Time and time again, that God is not going to say no more play. Fed said he's going to keep inviting us to it. And this is what surrender is. It is daily turning our lives and our wills over to God. Can you give it to God or are you going to hold it in? Are you going to clamp your mouth down and we're going to run up to God and say, fix a problem that I haven't given you? Here's all my issues, but no I'm going to hold on. And so today, I think what happens is that so many of us, we are holding on. We're saying, God, let me just fix these five things, and then you can fix the sixth. And and, and our lives are closed-fisted instead of open-handed, saying, Lord, your will, your way. Can I trust you? And what God is inviting us today It's whatever it is that we are holding on to that, was it control? Is it comfort? Is it this idol of identity? Can we give it to Jesus? And so what I'm going to invite us to do today, uh, whether you're watching us on Facebook and thank you for staying with us or you're you're here in the room, is, is I want you to make a decision to turn something over to Jesus today, to surrender to God, to let it go and to let God fill it up release your grasp so that God can do something better than you can ask, think, or imagine. So there's a couple ways you can do it. You can come and pray at the altar and you're invited to do so and just say, Lord, this is it. Maybe you need to fill something out on our prayer walls and and we don't look at those, uh, but we pray over those and you need to make that statement. Maybe it's texting somebody or telling somebody, whatever it is during this prayer time, do your business with God and surrender. And God will do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. He can handle your anger. He can handle your grief. He can handle your pain. He can handle your brokenness. 
So I'm going to open us with a word of prayer. And then we're going to invite you to respond and have this time of prayer as well. So Lord Jesus, we know that we hold on to things. We don't we, we, we want to control so much or, or we don't want to give up our, our comfort. Or maybe we've lost hope that anything could change and this is just who we are. Lord, maybe for some of us here, we've stopped trusting you. Something's happened and it wasn't fair, it wasn't right, it wasn't good. And we blame you and we say, Lord, I don't know if I can trust you again. Once you took this, you took it all. And, and Lord, you're not a God who takes, but you are a God who gives. And so, Lord, today I just pray for each and every one of us. Lord, that you would reveal to us something in our life that has become unmanageable. Maybe it is an addiction. And we've spent so much time hiding it. And there's so much shame that comes with it. And we don't know how, if we even admitted it, that we could be healed. But Lord, you are the God who heals. And that healing happens here in community. And so Lord, we believe that there is freedom for people. What would it look like if, if we were no longer slaves to our sin? If we were no longer addicts? If we were no longer driven by these other things and instead driven by you? Lord, maybe there's some relationships that we've held on to, that we've tried to do everything we can so that our perfect family will look perfect all the time to everyone. And when things don't go the way with my family, if it's not the picture that I want people to see on Facebook or Instagram, Lord, that stress becomes too much. Lord, can we just give over that to you? And Lord, maybe, maybe some of us, we've, we've had this negative thought process about who we are, that, that for some reason, when, when we face ourselves in the mirror, we just see ugliness instead of the beauty that you see in us. So Lord, we want to surrender our identity to you. Lord, can we be who you say that we are, not who we think that we are? And so, Lord, it's the people of God in this next little bit, in the ways in which we'll make a tangible difference for our future, Lord, we're going to choose to surrender. And so as we have this time of quiet and as we sing our final song, Lord, may we make a decision, may we claim that decision, and may we begin a new road of freedom. And so, Lord, we surrender. We give our lives to you so we can gain it back again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.